Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the What The Fork podcast. I don't want to hold you too long because I know you want to be listening to the episode, but I just wanted to drop in and say thanks very much to everyone who's listened to the podcast since I started it last March before lockdown. I think it's been a difficult year for all of us and I've thoroughly enjoyed doing it. So thanks very, very much to all the guests, to all the listeners and to anyone that's been associated with it. It's been an absolute pleasure to do. And I hope that it continues to go on to episode 200 and 300 and 400. Thank you very much. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today's guest needs little introduction, a former double player of the year at Sunderland. He captained the club and appeared over 200 times for us. To discuss his time at the Stadium of Light, welcome to the show, Dean Whitehead. Dean, how are you doing? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. You okay? Yeah, same old. I think we were just sort of chatting sort of um, off air there, just saying it's the same for everyone, I think, isn't it? It's just plowing on and hopefully getting back to normality soon. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, I think everyone's kind of sick of sick of the Zoom, sick of being in the house with the same people, talking to the same people, and the kids are at each other. And you know, it's it's about time that you know we, we get back to a bit of normality. Yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think um, obviously we're here to talk about your time at Sunderland, but I'll, I will start off with sort of recent stuff. Uh, you left Shrewsbury in November, I think. What have you been up to since? Uh, not much, really. Um, just it's a really good time actually to to reflect in terms of the coaching and reflect on what, what we did well, you know, what I did well, um, what we didn't do so well, what we could do differently. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a good time in terms of reflection on, on different aspects of um, the way we worked. Um, but like, like everybody else, it's so difficult to get to games at the moment. Um, so difficult to, to have a little bit of, outside influence a little bit but it's it's difficult for everybody and you know I can't wait to get the get the kids back to school and, and start getting to a few games and hopefully an opportunity will come up where you know it'll it'll be good for me. I was going to ask about that because obviously you had your time at um, Huddersfield where I believe you were involved with uh, the academy then you went to Shrewsbury as the assistant so I know a lot of managers like such as Kevin Phillips, for example, have done the coaching and they feel like they're ready to move into to management. Have you got one eye on that already? Or are you still wanting to build a bit more experience? I, th- I think a bit of both, really. I think that's obviously my my ultimate goal is I, I do want to be a head coach, a manager, um, which I feel that, you know, I've got, I've got a decent um, idea of how I want to do it and how I see it. Um, but, but like anything, it's, it's opportunity if a coaching one comes up before that, whether that be academy, whether that be involved in the first team, then I'd consider it which, um, which one comes first. is I'm, I'm ready. I, I think I'm really enjoying my coaching. Um, I'm on my pro license currently. We're looking forward to what the next, next step will be. Now, believe it or not, I was, gonna, I was reading, like, researching, should I say, obviously, the, the time that you had at Sunderland and I'm going to start by saying this, and it makes me feel quite old. So apologies in advance, but rewind back to 2004. It feels like yesterday, but it was actually not known for near enough 20 years ago, weirdly enough. But um, yeah, that's how I feel, mate. Absolutely. I remember it clear as day because it was like my prime time for for really going home and away with Sunderland. You'd had an an outstanding season at Oxford. Your contract was running down, if I remember correctly, although there was a a fee involved due to your age. A few clubs higher up the pyramid were looking at you. So how did the move to Sunderland come about? Yeah, so, you know, I, I decided pretty much in my own mind, didn't, didn't really tell anybody. Um, the last year of my contract at Oxford, I, I decided that I was going to, I wanted to see it out. And I knew that was risky at the time with, you know, with, with injuries and, you know, that's part of the game. But I just felt that that, that was right for me. Um, 
had an okay season, nothing, nothing uh, spectacular, um, but steady enough for a, you know, for a, for a young player in, in the football league um, at the time and come towards the end of the season. And um, Graham Ricks, who was in charge at the time when I, when I did leave, you know, he offered me a, you know, a really good, really good contract um, to stay there for three, four years. It's my hometown club. You know, I was in my comfort zone. I could have sat there and, and had an easy life really. Um, but I didn't want that. I wanted, I wanted a challenge. I wanted to, you know, to see what, what I was capable of achieving really. So I had, I had a couple of, um, couple of options in, in the championship um, in league one. And I can't remember where I was on, I was on the way home from, from somewhere and my phone goes and it was Mick McCarthy. He had a good, I had a good chat with him and, and basically before I got home with the journey was only short. Um, you know, I said, that's, that's the place for me. That's, that's the manager I want, I want to play for. And although it was so far out of my comfort zone, um, cause I wasn't that, I wasn't that type of person who was really, really outgoing, really, um, I was kind of shy. I kind of kept myself to myself. Didn't really, didn't upset anybody anywhere. Um, and I was, and I was going from one end of the country to the other. So that was a huge uh, decision for me at the time, but that was the type of challenge I was after when, you know, when I was thinking about um, seeing my contract out and, you know, I think in the next day or two, I, you know, I drove up to, up to Sunderland and that's where it all started. What about Sunderland? I sometimes feel as a Sunderland fan, I can be very biased, but I can, I can understand the pull of the club um, without going too in depth in it. Especially if you're coming from, I think what Oxford would have been as well. It was Division, well, Division Three, I think at the time. Obviously, League Two is its class yeah, now. It, yeah. When it comes to Mick McCarthy, though, obviously Mick's been a guest on the show as well. I think we've had just about every Sunderland player that signed for Mick McCarthy on this, or at least played under him. Um, he's a great guy. He's brilliant. I mean, character is fantastic, and obviously his his record speaks for itself. He's doing great at Cardiff even now. But going back to like the first time you, you met, so face to face, what was it about him that convinced you that Sunderland was the right place and he was the right manager? Um, I think it's just his um, just his honesty and 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 the way the way he talks to you. You know, he, he's really wants you at the club he tells you why he wants you what what I was what he see that was good in me um how I could develop and and help the team um but just I, I just think just the real the really basics of of man management skills in terms of straight down the line honest as the days long and if you if you work hard for him and give everything you've got you know you you, you get so much back from him yeah, and I mean, honestly, I can sort of say from my side in a totally different arena, he's, he is as honest as they come, isn't he? Literally, he, if you, I can imagine if you're a player, if you're not playing, you're going to know exactly why you're not playing. Yeah, and I, 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 that's exactly right. Um, if you're not playing, he'll tell you why, and they give you, you know, valid reasons. He'd probably back it up with, with video stuff. Um, very, very straight down the line. If you're not playing, this is why you're not playing. This is what you need to do. With Mick and stuff like that as well, when it comes to his honesty and things like that, I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like it's a rare breed um, from maybe some players I've spoken to previously, not just at Sunderland, everywhere. Um, is Mick kind of out of the ordinary with these level of honesty? Is, is that kind of, is he old school in that sense? Do you see that kind of breeder manager as much anymore outside of the the Warnocks and things like that, maybe? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, to be honest. But, you know, it's it's something that, obviously, I'm going into coaching and hopefully manage, management in, in the future. And I think it's it's huge for the for the players. Just, it's, it's very, very simple. Um, on Honesty with what he sees and what he wants, how he wants it done. And, you know, it's, it's really, really basic. You know, it's so powerful. Yeah. I can imagine so, because, I mean, his record everywhere he's been pretty much, maybe apart from Cyprus, but I'm sure you let me away with that one, um, has been sort of spot on all across. Are you quite su uh, not surprised that he's doing such a good job at Cardiff at the moment? His record speaks for itself. Um, you know, he's got Sunderland promoted, Wolves, 
you know, and he, and he started unbelievably well at, at Cardiff. And, you know, he, he's very, um, he knows exactly what he wants from his terms of his setup and his shape and how they want him to play. I'm sure every single player knows their roles and responsibilities. And, and it just, just gives them that, that, that confidence to, to go out and play within, you know, within that structure. Talking about obviously your first season, my memory's a little bit hazy, but I remember quite predominantly you were, you didn't really get into the team until about October. Um, when you did get in, it was it was actually on the wing. But once you got in the team, you never really looked back. So because it was a jump in tiers, what was it, or what would you say the biggest factors were in helping you transition basically into a top level championship footballer that was ready for the premiership and so fast? Yeah, it was, you know, it was a big jump. And I, at, at the time of moving there, you know, I didn't, I didn't know whether I could, I could even play in that league. I didn't know how I'd cope with it. I didn't know how I'd cope with the, with the moving away from home um, in a different dressing room, different environment, you know, all, all these factors. I, I, I literally had no idea how I would cope because um, I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the most outgoing person like, a, you know, Liam Lawrence come in at the same time and Stevie Elliott. These were big characters. Um, so they kind of got into the group a lot, lot quicker than I did. I was kind of on the, you know, on the periphery a little bit. I didn't, didn't give too much away and I didn't really give, you know, too much back to, to anybody at the time. Um, just kind of got in, got my work done and, and kind of went home really um, in terms of mixing with the group. Didn't, didn't really feel I'd settled obviously as quick as those do just because of, you know, my character traits. Um, but once I then got into the team, I felt I felt that I had a little bit more respect from the group that I could, you know, that I could I could handle the league. I'm, you know, I'm a decent enough player to to play in the team, and you know, I'd give everything every, every single day to, you know, to do that. But um, like I say, I had a, had a difficult start. I think I could come on as sub in the first game at Coventry. Yeah, didn't play the next two. I don't think. I think I might have played at Plymouth. Got beat, yeah. We um, did. And then after that, like I said, like like you said, I think I I played the next one, and then didn't really look back, and you know, kind of grew into the group as as the season kind of went on. Really, do you remember your first goal? Remember who that came against? Yeah, it was, I think it was on Sky as well. And it, I think I think Stevie Ellett might have put me through, and I kind of just got there before the keeper. It was, yeah, you're um, absolutely right. And kind of poked it past him. You're absolutely right. Um, um, yeah, so that, that you know, that's that's a really good feeling. How old were you when you came to Sunderland? 21, 22. Would I be right in saying that? Twenty. Yeah, I think I was twenty-one. Yeah. So, I think. no disrespect to maybe the players that you, uh, sorry, the managers you'd played under at Oxford, but just going back to Mick McCarthy, looking back on your career now, where you've retired and you've gone on to coaching, how important was the influence of Mick McCarthy on you? career that early like that early on in it I think huge I mean huge I mean to to be a big club like Sunderland just coming out of the Premier League and taking a chance on and it and it was a chance that um that I would work out that that Liam would that Danny Collins Neil Collins Stevie Elliott you know he took a real real punt on um enthusiastic younger players with legs um and obviously, Dave Bowman, you know, he's, he's got a lot, um, you know, a lot of appreciation for that because he did yeah. all the all the work, you know, behind the scenes. But um, yeah, huge, huge influence, you know. Given have trust in in young players, um, and I know obviously being in now as a coach and you know as assistant manager, your your job's constantly on the line and having that to. Slash the wage bill for however money much money I'm not not sure but you know you see a lot of the big big hitters go and and still some big huge influences in the dressing room and for us to, for us to walk in and give give me the opportunity to you know to showcase myself at a club like Sunderland was you know I owe you know a lot a lot to him. Talking about characters, obviously we've mentioned McCarthy, but that side as well. When I look back. It was full of characters as well. 
um, like absolutely full of them. The likes of obviously I've had Matt Piper on the show, who was pretty much you know he, I think he retired and not too long afterwards he didn't really get into the team due to his injuries. Yeah. But Kev Kyle and Danny Collins, obviously a great bloke as well. Um, who were like the biggest characters for you that you could sort of look up to as a, a younger player and, and learn stuff from at that point? I think at the time when I moved to Sunderland, I think um, Gary Breen was one of the one of the big ones. Yeah. Um, in terms of taking taking us us younger lads under his wing and, and looking after us and all all the stuff that you know senior pros do nowadays to to make sure that you know that everything's okay and and because I was a little bit quieter, you know, he he kind of gravitated towards me a little bit to to make sure I was all right and and coping all right and um and was comfortable with what I was doing. So and then you, and then you've got the the bigger characters you like your Jeff Whitley, Sean Thorntons and you know, Carl Robinson, Stephen Caldwell, Stephen Wright, you know, lots of big big characters for the for the dressing room and you know, I was just a a young player trying to find my way. You mentioned a name there that I totally triggered a memory in terms of Steve uh, sorry, Sean Thornton. Um I had Neil Collins on the show not too long ago. Um, that obviously, it was an episode that came out just, just this week. And I asked him about Sean Thornton, and he just immediately laughed. Um, great player, probably in, in some ways a waste of talent, but what was Sean Thornton like on a day-to-day basis? Because if you were quite quiet, kept yourself to yourself, Sean Thornton was probably the antithesis of that, wasn't he? Probably the complete opposite. Oh, oh complete, complete chalk and cheese. Um <laughs> In terms of character with with Sean and Sean and me, but like you said, for for me, complete waste of a talent, complete waste of so much ability, so much talent, um, because of you know all, all the other stuff that goes on with being at big clubs and earning good money and um, yeah, I I just I just feel like you know he had bundles more talent than, than I could ever imagine. Um, but if you don't want to almost be obsessed with a game and, and work at your work at your game every single day, then eventually you won't succeed. And unfortunately he, he didn't, yes, he had great moments and brilliant, um, some brilliant goals and some, and some great times, but he could have been anything really if, you know, if other things kind of slotted into place a little bit better for him. Oh, he was a he was a phenomenal player on his day, and to think to think how his career started, how it ended, where he went to, and in in a sense, it's almost sad that when you know, as a Sunderland fan, you mentioned Sean Thornton, that it's more about his character and the the funny things and the rapping and things like that. Considering how much talent he had, it's it's a bit of a shame because if he had, I mean, you look at the likes of say Andy Welsh, for example, went on to have a, a really decent career. And with all due respect to the likes of Andy Welsh, I'm just picking a name out of thin air. If you know a number of players had the talent, the natural ability of Sean Thornton with the the work ethic of the, a lot of the players in that squad, he could have been some player, couldn't he? Like I say, he could he could have been anything, anything yeah. he wanted to be, he could have been. Um, but unfortunately, certain certain different different players, and, and and he's not the only one. We've seen it. We've seen it a million times. Um, that you know, money and all the all the other sort of things that that take over take over your life rather than rather than football but you know i'm sure i'm sure he's got no regrets you know he probably really enjoyed himself he was a joker you know he, he was you know he had a i'd imagine he had a good time but um he could he could have he could have been so much better so much more he could have given so much more um but you know each each player takes takes different paths and um, he was complete opposite to me. Yeah, we've talked about how great Mick McCarthy is as a character and as a manager. But what's your like your funniest memory of Mick McCarthy? It was more to be fair, to be honest. It was it's, it's Ian Evans and, yeah. and Mick. They you know when one when one would have a when one would have a go at you, the other one would kind of <laughs> um, try and loosen up the the mood a little bit. So they were they were a bit yin and yang at times, but um, you know, do you know what? My memory's not my memory's not the best. To be honest. <laughs> my, they worked really really well together. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, 
That's why they all stayed together, wasn't it? I mean, they've always, as far as I'm aware, more or less stayed together the whole whole career, give or take, I think, one or two clubs. Um, talking about Taff Evans, do you think he was kind of almost like an unsung hero in the way that maybe Bobby Saxon was from the, the Peter Reed era? Because I think, you know, naturally, as you probably heard on this podcast already, I've talked a lot about Mick McCarthy and what he brought to the club, but, but Taff Evans brought an awful lot as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, look, we know when we go out to training, you know, it's all about working hard and, and being focused and all, all that sort of stuff. But Taff, Taff used to have a really, really good eye for knowing when to come in with with something that might might make the lads laugh. And, and, and his timing of, of these things were perfect. Um, when the mood's a little bit low, when, when the lads are, you know, not quite at it. Um, you know, he he'd come in with someone just just to lift lift the mood and lift the players, and you know did that constantly. Um, and obviously Mick would do that if you know if if Taff went on a little bit of a rant. Um, they just had that really really good eye and, and, and a good relationship together to know when to step in. Um, but yeah, he 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 was excellent, especially for for us us, us younger boys. Talking about the, the signings we made that season, you're touching it before, sort of yourself, Liam Lawrence, Stephen Elliott, Danny Collins, Neil Collins, all players that went on to do really well for Sunderland, really, really well. But I asked sort of Mick himself who he thought the best signing was that he made at Sunderland, and he said it was yourself. Um, how big of a compliment is that? Yeah, it's it's you know it's very nice. Um, look, all all the lads that that he brought in were. Were players that you know never played at that level before, and you know he gave us an opportunity. And, um, and to be honest, we all we all took it, um, we all grasped it, we all worked as hard as we could. And um, you know, for him to say that is you know it's very nice um, because you know it's it's a team effort, and uh, you know he he's the man that that enabled us to to, to perform like we did. When it comes to the the team from your first season, obviously. I think looking back, especially now as a Sunderland fan, um, and it's meant with all due respect to the, the entire team there, but there was no like huge names. There was a lot of players that were maybe coming towards the end of the career and a lot of young, hungry players that bonded together and formed the, the nucleus of a team that basically Sunderland fans love because it worked its bollocks off, for want of a, a better phrase. Yeah. Um, a lot of you seem to have kept in touch since was the team spirit that good that you could imagine still being friends sort of almost 20 years on? Yeah, it was. It, it, it was, really was, um, you know, we use it as a, as a strength of ours. You know, if you'd have looked probably at the start of the season, you looked at our squad, you're thinking, it's not great. doesn't look great on paper. Um, do well to probably finish in the top half of the league, maybe. But we had a, Mick assembled a squad that was, had a really good balance of, of senior players, um, good quality senior players, good characters, um, and a lot of young players that had everything to prove, you know, had nothing to lose, everything to prove. Um, and, you know, we, we managed to form a squad and a, and a togetherness and a team spirit that when we were behind, we just, we just knew we had a, you know, we just had this feeling that we, we'd come back with, um, Come back and, and turn the game around, and you know it's it's really powerful nowadays that that team spirit, you know, fighting for each other. When one makes a mistake, the other one, you know, someone else is there to to cover, and you know that kind of just just rolled on, and, and we got so much momentum in in that season, and you know, uh, proved a, proved a good one. How pivotal was Marcus Stewart in that season? Because I think. It's someone a lot of Sunderland fans have a lot of time for, but he's probably, in a way, someone that, unfortunately, people almost forget about because he was the ones that were like in between the modern era and, and the Kevin Phillipses. But he had three really good seasons here. I think he was our top scorer that season. And I've heard he was fantastic in the dressing room. So just how important was Marcus Stewart to that first season? Well, the first season, arguably probably the most important. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to score goals... At a championship level, you know it's not easy, and you know he he was he was bagging goals for fun. Um, you know whether we'd get one, two, three chances, we knew if it dropped to Stewie that you know he'd put at least one in the net. Um, 
yeah, and, and off off the field, you know, some character. Um, got along with every single player, uh, made every single player feel good. Um, and, you know, he's he was a huge, huge player for us um, in that season. And then, obviously, Marcus Stewart, alongside a few of the players that we've mentioned, they went after we, we got promoted. Um, probably, in hindsight, probably surprisingly so. And I think Mick even said on this podcast, he said, that in hindsight, you probably wouldn't have spent even the money that he did, even though he was disappointed he didn't get more. But the squad changed an awful lot. Um, going from such a positive to such a, a low very quickly, when did you realise sort of you individually that the 15-point season as it ended up being probably wasn't going to work out for someone? When did you start to realise that? How early on? Um, probably, yeah, I think probably Christmas time because... Uh... You know, we had, a, we had a, a lot of young players in there who just had their first proper season, really, uh, at a big club and achieved so much. And again, we, we was going into almost no man's land um, in terms of knowing whether whether we could handle the, the Premier League, what demands it puts on you. Um, did we have good enough players to help us through at that particular time? Um, which obviously proved that we clearly we didn't cope as a, as a team and as individuals well enough. Um, and obviously, you know, you know what the Premier League's like. And any kind of error, you get you get punished. I mean, we didn't have too many hammer ins, but you know, we always um, seemed to lose by a goal or a goal or two. Um, but yeah, really difficult season, but a season that. A lot of players, you know, me personally, have gained lots of experience from playing in, in, in the Premier League. Yes, it wasn't a nice experience at the time, but when we did eventually get back there, you know, we were much, much better equipped. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the chalk and cheese in a way from that season to the season when we went back up. Um, I don't want to touch on that season too much because I think to be fair, out of all the time that you had at Sunderland, that was probably one of the only negatives um, in terms of a full season. But looking at the the game that really sticks out for me is that the Portsmouth home game. Um, obviously, you scored the penalty. We went 1-0 up, got half-time, and then everything just crumbled. And there was the famous moment or infamous moment with, with Kelvin Davis and so on and so forth. What was it like to be in the stadium like that day? Because you've obviously played for Sunderland when the stadium has been absolutely bouncing, but that day it just felt like it went... I don't use the word toxic, because I think football fans have a right to say what they think when things are going wrong on the pitch, but it didn't feel like a nice place to be if you were a Sunderland um, Association football club that day. What are your memories of that Portsmouth game and, and how it kind of ended up being? Um, yeah, obviously we, we got in front... Um... And then obviously, I think it was it four one in the end. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, it's it was another experience for us that um, being at a big club um, in in the Premier League. If you know, if you, if you don't perform and you don't get results, then like say supporters and, and fans and media, who, whoever, you know, they they have their opinions to to criticise anybody they want. Um, and you have to become really strong mentally. You have to really try and stand stand firm and, and try and block things out as, as, as much as you can. Um, because moments moments like that do, um, they do wreck, wreck players' careers, but you have to understand and, and know how to deal with moments like that that, that do come. Um, and it wasn't nice. It, it didn't feel nice, um, but you know you had so many, so much good times. You you have to take the the good with the bad and um, and come out the other end. Really, I remember the season in general. Um, there was very few players that I could absolutely hammer because I think you touched on it before. We very rarely got like. And stuffed for want of a better word, it was one goal here, two goals there. And it was it was kind of a thing, just a lack of quality, maybe a, across the squad at the time. But out of all the players that came out of that season with credit, you were, I think you were player of the year that year again. Um, 
and you came out of that with credit. And I think there was a few premiership clubs that had seen that you you could handle yourself at this level in amongst a team that really struggled. And I think there was a few clubs that came in for you. Namely, if I remember, it was Redden. Um, by the time that season had ended, obviously that the ownership had changed with or was due to change. We didn't have a manager. We'd been relegated and things felt a little bit more exciting because of Nell Quinn coming in, but it would have been quite easy for you to leave. But did that ever come close to you leaving to Redden at that point? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so, no. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see Redden as a, as a bigger club than Sunderland. And I just felt from that season that I had a, you know, I had a bit of a bit of loyalty and, um, you know, to, to prove myself again, really, because the season didn't go well. And it's easy for easy for players to to say, "Oh, yeah, I done okay," but you know, he didn't or he didn't. But that wasn't the case. Uh, we all wasn't good enough. We all lacked quality. We all lacked um, something that that season. We weren't we weren't good enough. And and to just leave and, and jump ship at that point would just didn't didn't sit right for me. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that the following season we come back stronger um, and put. Put maybe the doubters, you know, put them put them to bed really, rather than rather than jumping ship. So then comes into the new season. Quinny starts off the season as manager. I think the first five games we lost. I think I was at Bury in South End. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was that, that was yeah, it was terrible times. It wasn't the greatest. Did uh, did you, in the first five games? Did you have any regrets at not considering going to Reading or? Yeah, um, I did. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, we I think we got hammered by. South End three one, then we went to Bury and it two two nil something like that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Jesus, what, what am I doing? Like you know, when you have an opportunity, I I had to trust my trust my gut and um and hope it would turn around. But at that point, I I just couldn't see it. Just couldn't see things improving. We were getting hammered from from supporters, and rightly so, rightly so, because. You know, we we were so bad um, at the start of that season. And it was ironic because, you know, we turned it around pretty nicely. Yeah, fantastic. Well, we turned it around almost it a, a meteoric rise, wasn't it, in a way? But um, before we go into sort of Roy Keane coming in then, I think there was an awful lot that was said, I think, from Niall Quinn before Roy Keane had even been appointed, where he said... It felt like it was a dressing room that got used to losing. Was that kind of the, the aftershock of that Premier League season? It was just difficult to to get rid of it, I think, at the start of that season. Yeah, uh, most certainly, because in the in the championship season, the, the season before we got promoted, you know, we had a winning um, momentum and, and that can go the other way as well. We we got in that horrible rut of finding ways to lose pretty much. Yeah, um, and it's very, very difficult. It's easy to it probably looks easy from the outside to say you should do this, should do that, but you know it's very, very difficult to get out of you know of, of that kind of zone. But um, I think a new a new manager, uh, you know, fresh ideas, you know, fresh um, fresh way of playing, definitely, definitely helped us. If we if we'd have continued, um, and there's no disrespect to. To the job that that Niall Quinn was doing because he, he was probably doing the manager's job. He, he was doing everything <laughs> at the club at the time, and you know, a million jobs all at once. And but if that had a continued, um, you know, there might have been different results. But very very good time to to appoint a new manager. Now I remember being on the coach back from Bury, um, despondent as ever, and I think Niall Quinn had. I'd gone on the radio and he said, look, like I'm I'm not going to be doing the manager's job for much longer. We've managed to get a, and as you said, I think it was a world-class name. He said, I've managed to get in. Yeah, he did. And so on and so forth. So as a, as a fan, you, you're starting to, to dream and think, is it Martin O'Neill, someone like that, that's going to come in, who's obviously linked to the job. I think Allardyce was linked. And then it's, it's Roy Keane. Now, you're obviously a central midfielder at that point. I think you were a captain by that point. And I think arguably you could say Roy Keane was the best captain of, of 90s Premier League football. So Roy Keane gets announced, Roy Keane walks in the door. How, how are you feeling on your first meeting with him and, and the fact that he's been appointed? Pressure's on. Pressure's on. Obviously, he he has, <laughs> you know, he, he has an aura about him and a you know a sternness in, in his eyes that um his standards are 
through the roof. Um, and at the time as captain, I, I, I have to, you know, I have to deliver that. I have to make sure that's, that's delivered day, day to day in the dressing room, on the pitch, um, in the gym, wherever, wherever it might be. And, um, exciting, but, you know, uh, a time where, we're, you know, we're all, we're all getting examined almost. Um, so you, you don't know if he, we didn't, and no players knew whether we'd be his type of player. Um, he'll bring players in for sure, which he did. And just hoping that, that you'd be one of those ones to stay in. When it looks at Roy Keane coming into the club, and I've asked a lot of people a similar question, you know, how does it feel when he walks in? Because I imagine, you, you know, that you, you grow an extra inch, I suppose, when someone like Roy Keane comes in the club. But I've never really thought about it. And I'm just thinking as we're chatting, you're the captain at that point. And we all know what Roy Keane's standards are like. Did you feel like he was going to expect an even higher standard from yourself because you were the captain? And did you, did that, did that, I suppose, not add pressure to you? Did that kind of add an extra dimension to your game because you felt you had maybe a little even more to prove because he'd be looking to you to be the captain that, not he was, but to set the standards and set the example? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, we, we all had something to prove. Um, we all had, had failed the, the, the season before and, and the start of this season. So, you know, we, we was all under the microscope and, you know, and we all had so much to prove to him. But in terms of pressure on me, probably not. I think it was, it was more as a group, as a whole uh, squad of players. We knew the standard had dropped and it had to go back up to a level and probably higher for, you know, for, for Roy to to be okay with it. And, um, you know, obviously there, there'd be some, some players that, that didn't cope with the pressure and, and the intensity that, that Roy brings. And there's some that do, um, because, uh, you know, his, his standards are so high. Talking of, um, Roy Keane's aura and, and stuff like that. There's obviously one story that's came out and, and I've been taught the same story myself, but Liam Lawrence was someone who, I think he's a great character. did a great job for Sunderland, great job for Stoke. But Liam Lawrence is not the kind of person I think that gets overawed by anyone. I think he'll always speak his mind. And obviously he had a he had a bit of a run-in with with Roy, I think, on a particular day. Do you have any memories of that day? Yeah, 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 a little bit. Um, you know, Liam's Liam's a you know, very, very outgoing person and, and somebody that, that's infectious to others. Um and I can't I can't totally remember what it was was it to do with a practice game i can't remember i think so um, i think he it got dropped might have been a practice game that he didn't that he was on was he sub or something for a practice game or something like that yeah like, something like that i think he got asked to watch from the sidelines and, and couldn't yeah. get involved in and then obviously he went straight in the office and i think it kicked off a little bit and i don't know how long after that he ended up leaving the club but i don't know the the full full details i think he went that. I think you went the next day. Uh, I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, I know it was pretty soon. I think you went the next day, but does that kind of sum Liam Lawrence as a character up? Then he's kind of if he he feels that something's not been done correctly, he'll he'll speak up because again, Liam Lawrence is someone that maybe didn't play a big part under Roy Keane because of that, but player that came through with you and and really did a good job at Sunderland. Like Liam Lawrence is really well liked here. Does that sum his character up? That if he feels something's wrong, he'll speak up no matter who it is. Yeah, I think so, and I think um, I think most players most players will if they if they feel that they've been treated badly or you know I think I think it's important for players to to talk um, and if they have a problem, go and see the manager because you know that's what if we're going back to Mick McCarthy, if you went and see Mick McCarthy, um, he'd tell you exactly why and and, and whatever, but. Roy Keane was slightly different. Um, he he did things slightly different, and his way of managing is different, like everybody else's is. But you know, Liam Liam was Liam was adamant that that he had a, a valid point, and um, I'm sure Roy had his, his, his reasons why he did it. But um, maybe it worked out best for both in the end. Yeah, you could say that because Liam obviously went and had a great career at Stoke and, and went on and did yeah. really well. Um, talking of you know, what Roy Keane did at the club, there's a lot of people that I suppose it's quite easy to say his standards, the person that he was, he was a winner and that's what changed. But if you can remember, is there anything in particular that he started doing that just 
sort of raised the club from being basically a losing mentality to a we must not we must not lose mentality, a complete winning mentality that he brought. So anything that he did in specific that you can remember? Not, not, not in particular, but we, we, we almost had a, I wouldn't say it was a fear, but a fear of not doing well and not performing. And, and we don't want to get on the wrong side of Roy Keane, basically. <laughs> and obviously we bought in, we bought in better players, um, Better players, you know, help helps you win football matches and mm-hmm. um, nothing, nothing in particular. But um, we just we just found some rhythm straight away, um, started to win games, and, and you could feel the confidence coming back from from what we had previously, and probably with better players now. So, um, you know, we we went on we went on an unbelievable run. I think the last eighteen games we won sixteen. Yeah. It was a um, ridiculously good one. One of the best times has been a Sunderland fan, truth be told. It felt like it felt like the polar opposite to a year beforehand, didn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, complete chalk and cheese. But the leagues are chalk and cheese in terms of quality and, and um, you know standard of player. You know, completely, completely different. It's a big, big jump to the Premier League, and um, you know, we felt that we that we got that momentum back and the confidence was was coming back and you know we like we said we went on an incredible run and um we had that that mentality that if we did go behind we'd you know we'd come back and come back and beat teams quite comfortably talking about the the players that he brought in there's two names that sort of stick out i suppose off the top of my head but i was thinking from a midfield perspective, you had Dwight York that came in, who obviously one of the Premier League's greatest strikers, but by that point you turned into almost like a number four. And you also brought in uh, Graham Kavanagh, more or less as soon as Roy Keane walked in the door. What was or what did Dwight York and Graham Kavanagh bring to the dressing room that maybe wasn't there before? Because if I remember rightly, they were quite pivotal in turning things around and not just the quality on the pitch, so the quality off the pitch as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think they, you know, they, they clearly obviously bought um, a Premier League experience in terms of of Yorkie coming in. Um, they won, they won Premier League, won won trophies. Um, you know, international players uh, coming in, coming into the squad, and and when when people of like that come into the squad, and and for me personally, being in in a in a position where probably both could play, um, I had to I had to then step up again and. Raise my uh, barrier and 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 get to the standard where um, that I was I was picked over them. But you know, in terms of a character, Yorkie come in. You know, he's so chilled out, so laid back. Um, loves loves a laugh and a joke, and you would never know that he you know he'd won so many trophies and be you know been such a, a legend of a striker in the Premier League. Um, the way he came in the dressing room, he was just a normal guy with so much quality, so much humour, um, and someone I really, I really got on well with and and learned a lot off. I think Yogi a few times has mentioned about being interested in particular jobs. I think Sunderland a few years ago, he's he's been very vocal about wanting a job at Aston Villa, and I think a lot of people maybe even when I haven't asked about Dwight York have mentioned how how great he was for the young lads, how great he was in the dressing room. Are you quite surprised that no one's taken a chance on Dwight York yet and give him a bit of a chance based on what he was like in the dressing room towards the end of his career in your experience? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, um, how, do you, how do you gain coaching and manager, managerial experience if, if you don't get the opportunities? And obviously I'm in the same position now, but um, so Yorkie's uh, is a much bigger name than me, and, and and won many trophies in the Premier League and in Europe. But um, I don't know what he's like as a coach. Doesn't mean because he's been a top top player that that he's that he's a good coach. I I, I don't know what sort of coach he, he is. Um, I'd imagine he, he'd be infectious. He'll be, you know, um, enthusiastic. And but I just, you know, it's 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 tough. It's hard for me to to say what sort of what sort of coach or manager he would be, but. In terms of opportunities, I think there's, there's a lot of um, ex-players and players that have had a lot of experience on the on the pitch and work with many top top managers that you know just need an opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Um, talking of that season, now you'll obviously not remember it. 
in the way that I did, but the, the Quinn and Phillips years, what as we'll refer to it as, was probably the best time to be a Sunderland fan in, in recent memory. It just felt like the whole place was united. But if I was to put a comparison as to Sunderland as a city feeling as good as it did at that point, what what's the nearest it's been? Most definitely sort of around that era, you know, the Sheffield United away, Burnley at home. When you're playing at Sunderland and the whole city is like united and you feel like you're on the crest of a wave, how good of a place is Sunderland to play? Oh, the best. The best. I mean, I mean that I mean the night that, that we beat Burnley 3-2, I think it was a Friday night. It might have been yeah. Friday, I think it was a Friday night. You know, Carlos scores that, you know, worldy goal and you know, the place is bouncing. Um, you know, there's, there's no there's no better place to, to play football when when the stadium's rocking. Um you got a you got a bunch of players that that's giving the club and you know, supporters everything they've got on the pitch. Um, you know, there's no better feeling. I mean, we went away to was it the season we went away to Southampton and won as well. I think yeah, Brown um, might have scored a, a good goal. In that it was game. Easter Monday, I think it was, and we went first time we went top of the league. Yeah, that was a good that was a great day. That was yeah so yeah. And then there was there was Leicester. We went away at Leicester and beat them. New Year's Day. Yeah, um, I was severely hung over that day, Dean. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I, I got a feeling it was the weather weren't too clever that day either. But um, <laughs> yeah, but some some great some great memories, some great moments. Um, uh, what a place when it's when it's rocking. Do you know you'll get sometimes um, people outside of Sunderland will sometimes discuss how difficult of a place Sunderland must be because of how demanding the fans are. And I think a lot of the North East gets that, to be honest. Um, you've played at Sunderland when we've been rock bottom. You've played at Sunderland when we've been flying absolutely high. Do you think that there's such a thing as, not pressure at Sunderland, but do you think it's quite an easy excuse for some people to make to say that Sunderland's too hard of a place to play? Do you think you've got to kind of be a bit more broad-shouldered and just take on how good of a place it can be because you've been part of it? Yeah, I think if you know if, if Sunderland came in for a certain player, then you know they they have to make sure that they're equipped to play at you know at, at that club. You know, it's a big club that demands high standards and high performance on the pitch. And if you're not ready to to take a little bit of criticism when when things don't go well, then then that's not the club for you. You have to be. You have to be strong, mentally strong, uh, like you say, broad shoulders, be able to take take the good with the bad, because it's easy to take the good, really, really easy. But when things you know don't go so well for one, two, three weeks, then you know, you have to you have to take it, take it, um, take it on board and learn from it and um and put it right. And you know, that's a club that that demands every week and and you know, sometimes it doesn't happen and and you, and you get criticized, but you know, that's football, that that'll happen you know, for many, many years to come and, and people will criticise players. But, you know, as, as a player, you have to be able to deal with it. And um, it's easy to make an excuse to say, oh, it's a tough place to go. You know, the fans get, you know, they slaughter you when, you, when you're getting beat. Well, don't every, don't every club in, in the country um, have a go at players if they, if they don't win a game? Of course they do, because they yes. want to win. You know, they're passionate. Um, so, you know, if you're not prepared for that, then I don't think football and, and, and most certainly Sunderland probably isn't for them. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, just before we go on to the, the Premier League years, I suppose, this at the end of that season, I suppose it's a little different for you because you'd been on the open top bus. You'd done it a few years previous with Mick McCarthy and a lot of the lads, but you were captain by this point and, and Roy Keane decided not to have one. He said that Sunderland should be aiming higher than winning the league. I think the likes of Darren Ward, it was probably the only trophy he'd won in his career or a title he'd won in his career and he missed out on that. How did you feel when Roy Keane decided to cancel it? Did you understand it or was it a little bit disappointing? Um, I, I, I think obviously obviously Roy's had, you know, he's had that much um, success in his, in his time at Man United who, you know, once they won a trophy, it's like, right, the, what's the next one? You know they don't have time to celebrate um, uh, trophies or even you know Champions League wins. They they say right that that's kind of in the in the cabinet. Let's go after the next one. But we weren't we weren't a club that 
could do that. You know, you know what what's the next trophy we was going to win? Um, God knows. So you know, it's slightly disappointing, but. You know, he, he's the manager. He makes those those big decisions, and uh, you know we, we go with it. But like I say, for for people that you know, we don't win many trophies. Um, of, of that you know that particular squad and the players. I know obviously Yorkie did, and, and the manager did. But you know, obviously for for Ward, it would have been his first and only one. Maybe I don't know. Um, but um, you know, it'd have been disappointing for him. But you know, we have to respect to respect the manager. When we went back up that next season, um, talking about great moments at the stadium, like the Burnley game was amazing, but the Spurs game on the opening day of the season, probably even better. Um, how good was it to be part of the squad that day when Michael Chopra, of all people, put the ball in the back of the net in the 92nd minute? Yeah, 92nd minute for a 1-0 first, the first game of the season, Premier League. Having failed in the Premier League, you know, two years prior to that, um, you know, it was huge. It was huge for the for the club, for the fans, for the players. Um, you know, it was you know the stadium. At, in, you know, when when Chops put that in the net, you know the whole the whole ground erupted. And you know, there's no better place to play. You know, when it when it's going like that. Terrific day, absolutely terrific day. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I think I'm sure you had a few pints after that, lad. Oh, one or two, mate. Yeah, yeah. I had a, an enjoyable night. And I remember that, I think it was the Tuesday night, we went to Birmingham and Stern John, I think, scored after Roy O'Donovan sat on the goalkeeper. So the next few days were quite decent as well, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, one thing that sort of really probably sticks out about that season is the amount of late goals we scored. Obviously, Liam Miller at Middlesbrough sticks out. Um, Chopra, a sport against Spurs. Um, Stern John scoring in the last minute. We scored so many goals, like right at the depth. Um, and I was speaking to, it was uh, Mike Clegg, who was the fitness coach, I think, at that time. And I asked yeah. him about that period and he talked about like the stuff they did on the, the fitness pitch or the stuff that you all did to make sure you had like um, sort of bursts of energy that you could keep and, and, and give like an energetic burst at the end of the game. What necessarily was it that happened that season in training to your memory that meant we were just so fit and we could win games in the 90th minute. I just think we had um we had more belief. Um you know we had we had belief when you know the games were, were level or we were behind. We had just had a belief that and we had good legs in the team. We had we had fit players. Um and that you know that obviously helps with um you know the sports science or the work they do but you you have to live right off the pitch. Um you have to do everything you can to be as fit as you can because if you're not in the Premier League, which we we weren't prepared last time, um, and we made sure made sure we were prepared this time, we are fitter than and, and stronger than than ever. And you know, it, you know, in, in the final parts of games, you know, we we seem to come up with come up with the goods. Talking about the that season was great. Team spirit was fab. We had a load of good lads. Like I think Andy Reid came in in the January the team spirit just continued on. And then I suppose from a fan, the following summer was actually quite exciting because we were signing players, like big name players, like uh, Gibral Cissé for one of them who actually did a good job. But the likes of Pascal Chimbonda came in, El Hajjouf, maybe people that were not the right characters for something from the outside looking in. Did the dressing room change an awful lot when they came in? And in particular, I mean, Chimbonda and El Hajjouf. Um, possibly, possibly, yeah. But I think, I think when you when you've obviously stayed in the league one year and you you, know, you have to invest to you know to improve. Um, and obviously, at the time that um, Roy brought in, you know, Gibral and Pascal, and I think it, I think Steed come in as well. Yeah, Steed came in also. Um, Steed, but. You know, different different players, different egos. You know, completely different to what what we what we what we were used to. So this was this was a different um, dimension to to the changing room. Um, huge ego, huge um, self belief in in Gibral and and Pascal. They believed that you know they they were coming there to to improve the team to to improve themselves and probably thought it maybe be a stepping stone I don't know but um 
I think every every player, you know, that that, that comes in are different. Um, I mean, the manager, he he would have to manage me completely different to what he does, what he did Gibra or, or Pascal. Uh, I don't need much managing. You know what you're going to get from me day in day out. But Gibral might. He he's completely different. Um, he needs a different type of uh, relationship with a manager. Different type of um, way of speaking to him. Uh, way of treating him. Um, and look, that's that's fine because that's that's a part of the manager's um, job is to is to make sure the environment is right for everybody. But not everybody gets treated the same. You have to understand understand the person and and treat the person you know how you know how he's going to feel most comfortable and get the best out of him and uh pascal was another was was another one that was the same um so you know it's probably difficult time more difficult time for the manager dealing with the different types of characters that um you know he brought in yeah huge egos and obviously i think I chatted to Phil Barsley a few years ago and he told me the story about Pascal Chimbonda not wanting to head the ball when he came in with these braids. And I think yeah. <laughs> um, that yeah. probably sums up the difference in the likes of, say, Phil Barsley, who'd been there the year previous to, to Chimbonda and something as a football club requires. Definitely, I think, a certain type of character. Um, we beat Newcastle that season, though. One of the, the Again, one of the best games I remember at the stadium, like an electric atmosphere, uh, Gibral Cissé got the first one. Obviously, Kieran Richardson banged in the free kick. Oh, unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. talking about goals, that is, that's iconic. But then we went on this really weird run where I think we lost seven and eight out of nowhere, which was just really weird because we'd had a decent start of the season. We beat Newcastle and then we went backwards. During that period, could you feel Roy Keane ready to, ready to leave the club or did it still come as quite a shock when he left? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't see it coming. Um, you know, he, he's he's a man that's used to winning football matches um, on a regular basis, and you know that's probably the first time in his managerial career that that we couldn't find a way to to win um, to get out of that rut. Um, you know, it was it was a real real disappointing time. Um, we couldn't find any form. You know, after such a high at Newcastle, we, you know, we, we almost thought, right, we beat Newcastle. That's almost job done, um, and that's, you know, that's that's not the not the mentality that that we wanted or or the manager expected, and you know, we just couldn't we just couldn't find a way. And um, well, I didn't I didn't ever see the manager um, leaving at that point. Were you disappointed when he left, or did you kind of understand it? Yeah, disappointing, of course, because you know he, you know, he played a, a big part in 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 some successful times of my career at the club. Um, but you know, everyone has their their reasons, and you have to respect them and um, and move on. I spoke to Kenwin Jones a few weeks back, um, and I asked him about Roy Keane, and I described how his personality was probably completely different from the outside looking into. To Roy Keane's and he sort of stopped me in my tracks and he said no actually like Roy Keane's far different to what the media perception of him is he's, he's not hothead he's, he's not consistently fine enough to handle yes he can but he's actually quite a relaxed sort of thought out doesn't speak that often only speaks when he needs to kind of person would you agree with that assessment of him is he a lot more relaxed than the media would like to think he is yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, when when he speaks, people listen. Um, and look, when when you have meetings or whatever, and he speaks, you know, everybody has you know his full attention. And but he's not one. He's not one to. He didn't have too many ranting and raving, you know, episodes when when we were there um, with him. But you know, he's he's chilled. But you know, he ha- he has such high standards, and he and he expects them every day. And if you deliver those, then you have no problem. Talking about um, moments when he has flew off the handle. Now, I think I think I'm quite aware that people need to sell books, and I think I'm quite aware that things can be dramatised because that's kind of what happens. But Dwight York obviously spoke in his book about an infamous dressing room rant when he kung fu kicked the, the tactics board down during the draw with Northampton, and apparently yeah. he attacked you, had a bit of a go at you in the dressing room. 
how true is that? Did it get that heated between you both, or is that probably a little bit dramatized? Yeah, it is dramatized. It, it, it didn't attack me, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> nah. Yeah, no, it didn't, it didn't attack me. But look, we, we were, I think we were 1 0 down, or it was 1 1. I can't remember what it was, but you know, he went absolutely mad. And this is probably the first time we've, we'd really seen it. Um, it smashed in the tactics board, and we thought, Fuck, we're in for a, we're in for a, a bollock in here, and you know, lads were sat there with their heads down, and you know, feeling sorry for themselves like you do. Um, and I can't remember what happened, but I can't remember how I was sitting, but he kind of just clipped my hand. Um, nothing, didn't come up me steaming with a, with a right hook, and you know, we started fighting <laughs> on the floor and that, that. But yeah, we. we uh, that why you come for me, don't know. Um, but no, I had, I had no problem with it. No, no big deal. Um, because he's the manager, he can criticize as, as much as he wants and, and have a go who he wants when he wants. And you have to respect that and um, and, and move on. And because if you, if, if you have any grudges in, in this game, then you know you're struggling. I was going to say, is that kind of the Roy Keane school of management? You could have a big heated argument and kick a tactics board down, but if you prove yourself in training on the Monday, then you're not necessarily his best friend, but you've got his respect back. Was that kind of his style of management in in short? Yeah, I think it's clear that, you know, once whatever goes on, goes on, and then, you know, all forgotten the next day. Um, and, and that's how it was. How much did the dressing room change when Ricky Sabrasia came in? Because... I mean, we limped over the line a little bit, um, probably because Newcastle were just worse than us that season, thank God. But yeah. it did feel like it had gone from being Roy Keane to, I think Sabrasia was a, a friendly coach, yeah, completely, so to speak. Yeah, completely opposite, yeah. Yeah, completely opposite in terms of how they managed the, the team and, and the group. But like I say, everybody, everybody is different and um, you know, Roy wasn't there any longer you know, we give we give everything to uh, to Ricky really. Just before, obviously, we talk about you, you sort of leaving the club. I think if I could be wrong here, but I'm sure there was rumours of you being wanted by Stoke in the, the sort of January time. And I think you know we spoke off air yesterday about how much of a loyal servant you were, and in hindsight, now it's been over ten years since you left. Everyone said the same thing when I said you were coming on the show yesterday. Loyal servant, loved him, great player, captain, good captain, underrated, all those kind of platitudes. But if I remember correctly, you got a little bit of stick towards that last six months of your time at Sunderland. Did did that hurt because you'd given so much to the club? Um, yeah, I did get I did get some stick. I I, I remember the. The Bolton game at home, I think they booed every time I touched a ball, um, you know, throughout the whole game, which, which you know, they're rightly so. It's, you know, it's their club. Um, but they had to, you know, it's for me, it was bittersweet, really, because, you know, I had so much, so much good times there and enjoyed my, enjoyed playing, you know, for the shirt and, you know, give give everything that that I had. Yes, I was limited in areas. Of course, I was. Um, but yeah, I, I received a lot of stick that game, and um, I think I come out after the after the game and a bit naive of me just to to say, you know, it, it didn't help the team. It didn't help the me individually playing. But you know, it, you you live and learn from from those sort of mistakes. And again, I got hammered for that, but. Look, I don't, I don't see it as, um, I don't have any regrets of what, what I done there or, or how I handled it. You know, I felt, so I felt at the time, and, um, you know, it, it was disappointing. But yeah, it's football, and it. I mean, it probably was the right time for me to leave. The, I think the fans kind of knew that. I knew it, and um, you know, it's time for somebody else to come in. So looking back, sort of ten years since you left the club, then. How would you summarise your time at Sunderland now that you can sit back and reflect on your career and that particular period in your career? I reflect on it is is a really good time for me, um, a time where I was challenged and I overcome challenges. Um, I won trophies there. Um, yes, we had some we had some bad times, of course, like 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 most people do, but. 
no, I do reflect on it is, uh, you know, it was a wonderful place to, to play football. Um, lovely place to live, you know, all the, the people around the area, you know, very friendly. Um, you know, I got, you know, real, you know, real soft spot for, for Sunderland for sure. Um, yes, it ended a little bit sour, but you know, that's, that's football and uh, but I still really, really, you know, it places a, a big part in my, in my career, in my life, really. And final question, completely out of the box. And I've started chucking this in at the end of a few of them, but you were at Sunderland a fairly long time. If you had to pick one of them, who was the best player you played alongside during your time at Sunderland? Oh, that's a bit unfair, that. That's <laughs> some, some good players. Look, we, you know, we weren't, we weren't the a team with the biggest names in terms of players, but um, you know, I think the time when I was there, that we were the best players. George McCartney was some player um, when him and Julio were linking up on the left. You know, almost unstoppable. Really, we we just wanted to get the ball to them too, and you know, they do the rest really. Um, obviously, that first season, Stewie was you know was our talisman. Um, and then you got then you got the likes of Kenwin Jones comes in, Dwight York. You know, it's it's, it's unfair to to pick any really, but even Carlos Edwards come in done unbelievably well. Um, you know, lot lot lots of good players, um, and bless him, Liam Miller. You know, so much talent, so many so many good players. Yeah, absolutely. Kenwin said Steve Malbronk. Yeah, technically wise, probably yeah, but I think for me. Probably at the club when I was there in successful times. I'd arguably say Julio or George, probably. Good choice. Yeah, Julio was never a bad choice. And George, first time around, I absolutely agree with you. Shame yeah, it didn't yeah. work out. Yeah, the second, I mean, out. yeah, the first time round, he was he was unbelievable. Player of the year, I believe, at, some, at yeah. one point. Um, well deserved. Yeah, great player. Apparently, a very angry man, George McCartney. Apparently, he was always yeah, consistently very angry. F- <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah. It's, nothing's ever right for him. Nothing's ever. The ball's a yard in front of him. It should have been, you know, at his feet. But you know, I think I once had that year. Wow. I once tried to get him on on this show, and I think I got warned by someone else. Don't bother. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. To be fair, he's a he's a miserable bugger. But Dean, thanks as much as always. Thank you very much.